You're listening to the Sportsman's Empire Podcast Network brought to you by Full Sneak Gear. Check out their entire lineup at fullsneakgear.com. Also be sure to check out our entire stable of podcasts at sportsmansempire.com. New from Moultrie Mobile, the Feed Hub offers first-of-its-kind cellular connection and control for nearly any spin cast feeder on the market. When used with the Moultrie Mobile app, you can monitor feed and battery levels, run feeders on demand, receive alerts when feeders are clogged, and remotely adjust feeding times. The Feed Hub is ideal for anyone who maintains feeders. Remove the guesswork and save time by planning feeder maintenance before you drive to your hunting property. For more information, visit MoultrieMobile.com. You're listening to the Sportsman's Nation Podcast Network, powered by Interstate Batteries. From your truck to your trail camera, Interstate Batteries has you covered. Visit your local Interstate Battery store today or online at interstatebatteries.com. Interstate Batteries, outrageously dependable. Welcome to the Nine Finger Chronicles podcast, brought to you by Exodus Trail Cameras, the number one podcast for bow hunting product information and hunting stories from across the nation. And now, here's your nine-fingered host, Dan Johnson. All right, everybody, welcome back to the Nine Finger Chronicles podcast, brought to you by Exodus Trail Cameras. And today, we are joined once again by returning guest, Ted Bright. And we are going to have a a BS session about scent control. Uh, He brings up some really good points. And uh, my system is a little bit different than his system. And I think the, the thing to remember here is that he's confident in his system. I'm confident in my system. And there's not one scent control method in my opinion, that works better than any other scent control method. So I think uh, you're going to hear this in today's conversation is two differences in scent control. And I respect that. And I know that you guys, each each of you guys has a different method that you feel confident in. And that's something that uh, we, uh, we should all I guess take away from this podcast and that goes for just about everything in the uh, in the hunting world from strategy to gear and everything in between that if you find confidence in doing something a specific way and that confidence turns into success then you should continue to do it and it doesn't matter if you're not doing it a specific way if you're finding success hell do it again and do it again and do it again so that's what today's podcast is about scent control it's a good old-fashioned bs session and uh before we get into today's podcast just a friendly reminder that i tell you what i rely heavily on my trail cameras and over the years i've run into some that didn't work properly and it nothing nothing makes me furious faster than than running into a trail camera that doesn't work when it's supposed to work i haven't had that problem yet with exodus trail cameras and i just put a couple more out this weekend over some scrapes uh 
check some trail cameras that are in some pinch points and along some field edges. And uh, I'm really hoping that as the rut gets closer, as my two-week vacation gets closer, I'm going to be able to rely heavily on those cameras just like I do every year uh, to get the data that I need to make the moves that I need to make uh, in the most important time of year, and that's that first two weeks for me of November and the, the weekend leading up to that. So if you haven't had an opportunity to, to at least go to their website and check out Exodus Trail Cameras, please do so at exodusoutdoorgear.com. They have the Lift 2, they have the Trek 2, outstanding cameras that, for me, I haven't had any issues with them. They they function flawlessly, uh, and if you do like what you see and you want to purchase, use the discount code 9FINGERS. That's the number 9, followed by the word FINGERS, no spaces, and you will receive $20 off of your trail camera purchase. Now, Let's get into today's BS session about scent control with returning guest, Ted Bright. And back on the podcast for, I don't even, was this your, is this your second time or your third time? Third time, Dan. Third time. Mr. Ted Bright, how you doing, man? I'm doing well. Thank you for having me again. It's always a pleasure. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Like I, I told you before we started recording, I was flipping through some old podcasts, just kind of looking back at, uh, over the years of what I've done. And I saw that your name popped up. You were a good guest to have. And I'm like, you know what? I want to cover the topic of scent control today and just do it with a, you know, a quote unquote average Joe and then just bullshit about it for, you know, however long it takes till we're done bullshitting. And, uh, your name popped up and I gave you a call and you said, yes. And here we are. Awesome. Well, like I said, it's always a pleasure. And, you know, I, that's one of the neatest things I like about your podcast, Dan, is that, you know, it is the average Joe or in this case, the average Ted that, you know, <laughs> Uh, you, you apply some, uh, logic to your system and, you know, hopefully it works out and it, it, you know, it gets better and better and it seems to work for me, but you know, by no means do I claim to have the best system out there or my on TV killing 180 inch bucks every year, but <laughs> by golly, I'm passionate about it. I love pursuing them. Absolutely. Absolutely. So before we start talking about scent control, um, what have you been up to since the last time, uh, have you done any hunting this year so far yeah i've been a few times my my uh deer hunting you know locally has been a little bit less than usual because i went on uh, an archery elk hunting trip at the beginning of september and uh geez i think we hunted for eight days so you know with driving and everything i was gone for like 11 days so you know how i go i've got to catch back up with work and family and uh of course you know i'm so the first part of the archery season in missouri it was great weather and then you know about the time where i was it caught back up and ready to get into it it turned hot and then for about two weeks it was hot and so i didn't get a whole whole lot of early season hunting in but uh, over the last week or two i've put in more scouting and hunting um but yeah starting to get out there and uh yeah it's always fun they get, we're getting some good weather down here too now how was your elk hunt what state did you go Went to Montana, uh, the Bob Marshall Wilderness area, and it was hot and dry, and it was early, so we were actually the, uh, you know, I think the, the season started on the 5th, if I remember right, um, whatever it was, it, 
the first to the fifth, somewhere around there at the beginning of September. And we were right on the heels of that. Um, and, you know, it was, there was very little bugling. Uh, so we were basically reduced to, you know, I wanted to kill a bull. So I was trying to track down bulls in their beds, and that's tough. Uh, first three days, I, you know, got on some elk, and uh, I actually bumped this bull, the same bull from his bed three days in a row. And then uh, the on the fifth day, I had an encounter with him, had him about 50 yards. He was actually starting to nudge some cows. And then, uh, you know, after the encounter for about 30 minutes, the wind swirled, hit me in the back of the neck. And, you know, I knew what was going to happen there. And it was game over and kind of kind of interesting. You know, he didn't bugle the entire four days prior to that because I was in the same area. And then after, you know, after he got wind of me and, and left, he gave me two courtesy bugles uh, as he <laughs> ran away. Yeah, it was like insult to injury, you know. Right, absolutely. So you ended up not harvesting anything, right? I, on the last day, I did miss a cow. Uh, I had a cow at 70 yards and no opportunity to get a rangefinder on her. And I gauged, gauged it at 60 yards, and I shot just underneath her belly, which, you know, was directly in line with the heart from the windage perspective, but uh, right underneath her belly, so came home empty-handed yep hey that's part of it um i think like i mentioned before on the on the uh podcast uh the the archery unit that i was in in colorado success rate was only 11 percent. so take that with a grain of salt right yeah yeah exactly you know it's not it's i've always said it's not about the success or the harvest um i guess the success is just getting out there and doing it and you know, when you're from the, you know, the flatlands of the Midwest, getting out there to the mountains is a special occasion. And, right. you know, every morning when you wake up and see that sunrise over the beautiful mountains up there, it's, it's, it's a special event anyway. So, yeah, it was a great trip and we had we had an awesome time and, uh, you know, enjoyed it immensely. Saw a ton of different wildlife that just, you know, the conditions were just tough. Yeah. Yep. Absolutely. And let's see if my memory serves me right. You always do this archery only hunt with a canoe down this river during rifle season in Missouri, right? Yes. Yes. So you got that on the schedule for this upcoming year, this year as well? Well, I'm more thinking how many times am I going to get it on the schedule? That's that's the the variable I'm trying to hash out right now. So you know, you're going, Uh, you just don't know how many times. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So last, you know, in the years past, we had done this for, you know, like eight consecutive years where we uh, canoe or kayak in, you know, and stay for several nights. And in fact, I did it in the spring with a good buddy of mine during turkey season also. So, you know, it's always a good time. But last year, uh, just the way it worked out, you know, we only made it in there for one weekend. So, and it was just my son and I. So we actually mountain biked in and uh, stayed two nights. And so, you know, I'm thinking, you know, maybe I'll do like three or four of those types of trips or do we try to get one, you know, week long trip in there. So trying to hash all that out now, but I'll be spending plenty of time down there. That's for sure. Absolutely. Man, that's uh, that's something that I must say I'm a little bit jealous of. I would love to do a, uh, a trip like that, not necessarily just for deer or turkey, but any species. I mean, the uh, one of my bucket list hunts is to go up, get dropped off on a river, and float it down to hunt for moose. I think that would be amazing. 
Yeah, yeah, I agree. I mean, there's just something about being out there, uh, you know, camping in the area that you're hunting. Uh, that's just there's, there's something special about that, and you know, it uh, it just adds an element of adventure to it. I guess you'd say, um, you know, it's something that I guess I've probably taken for granted because I've just always done it. But you know, when I when I killed that nice buck last year and made the post, and then you had me on the podcast, you know, so many people reached out to say how that trip or that story inspired them or you know whatever the case was and you that's know awesome. it does give you the opportunity to reflect and think you know what that really is pretty cool that's awesome cool i'm glad you got some good feedback on that well i say we get to the topic at hand and i really don't even know how to properly transition from what we have been talking about to the, the topic today but why don't we just start by this simple question what is your scent control regimen all right. So I, I do not claim to have the tightest scent control regimen, but I think that's kind of what you're after here is an average Joe. Um, but, you know, of course, I, I take all measures that I deem are, you know, the juice is worth the squeeze. So, you know, of course, I wash all my clothes in scent-free detergents. But, you know, I, I pretty much have a systematic approach to everything I do in hunting and in life. And, you know, I don't, one thing I, I do not do, and I've graduated past this, I think, is I don't buy the, uh, the marketing gimmicky stuff at the, in the Walmart hunting aisle. You know, in fact, I kind of chuckle when I walk by that aisle and see yep. people paying three times the rate for uh, basically an unscented detergent or soap. Um, the soap is really an inferior product, I think, because it makes your, for me anyway, it makes my skin so dry yep. that A, it's uncomfortable. And B, I think, you know, your, your dander, your dead skin is falling off of you, creating a scent trail, as, as far as I can tell anyway. So I use, uh, you know, I just use an arm and hammer, um, whatever they call it, hypoallergenic, some, you know, non-detergent, non, uh, non-odor, no perfume on the laundry detergent. And then I use Dove unscented soap. And uh, one thing that I, it took me a little while to learn, though, is, uh, you know, I, I would always use these, uh, you know, scent-free soaps and detergents and everything, but then I'd shave with shaving cream, you know, and I had to shave, I, and I enjoy shaving for, you know, and I don't enjoy carrying a Paul Bunyan beard around like you do, Dan, but uh, <laughs> to each their own. Right. And uh, so I just used the Dove unscented soap, and in fact, I've learned that it actually works a lot better for shaving than shaving cream itself. Oh, nice. So, yeah. so from a from a, a product standpoint, and we're talking in the shower right now, you feel, and the hunting industry for me is always what I would consider a, a secondary market. And what I mean by that is there's already a product out there that exists. It's just that some company or someone has brought that part, that product and has now started marketing it to the hunting industry maybe maybe some different changes a little changes to it but like you mentioned all that other stuff is already out there in the the shampoo and bar soap aisle yes it is and quite frankly i find it to be a better superior product to the the hunting companies that market their Right. You know, they're gimmicky stuff. Right. So one thing that I've noticed is that a company like Dove, right? I have a bar of Dove soap in my shower right now, and it, it is the smelly stuff, but Dove is known for keeping your skin 
nice and nice and soft and and so you're telling me that in, in the past your experience with the the hunting marketing uh, the hunting scent free soap is also a oh it dries the skin out and isn't isn't very good yeah exactly it's uh i mean it would dry my skin out so bad um and you know sometimes when you're sitting out in the in the you know cold dry air for hours on end and you know especially late season uh you know you're going to get dry skin anyway or you know at least i do the dove soap certainly helps with that but then also i use just uh, refined coconut oil instead of like a lotion or whatever you know so that when my skin does get dry unscented refined coconut oil is a perfect moisturizer wow i wonder if there's a lot of guys right now laughing at you out there <laughs> probably so but that's okay that's right that's right screw them um that's awesome though because i always love trying to find different approaches to to things and i was talking to a guy the other day um actually the guy their marketing guy from hunters uh from hunter safety systems they've come out with a new product man i wish i had it in here but i don't um uh, it's a it's a new product that you put on your body after you take a shower, and what it does is it um, it stays on your body for X number of days, and you only have to reapply after a certain amount of days, or as your skin starts to um, you know fall off. As you, I don't know what that's called, uh, the dander of your body, your shedding, your skin cells you know regenerate or whatever and falls off, which that leaves scent and then that is what deer catch but they uh they have a product for that i don't know what it's called i'll have to look into it but i would think that if you had dry skin you would leave a bigger scent trail than if you had soft and moist skin yeah you know i agree with that to a degree you know i mean you know you're gonna it's that combined with the bacteria you know the bacteria that's especially in your armpits or you know, on your feet or, you know, the, the heavy sweating areas. Right. You know, the, the dander plus the bacteria is what creates the, the majority of human scent as, you know, in your breath, of course, uh, as I understand it. And, yeah, I mean, um, as long as you're, you're, you're washing those parts and you're keeping your skin, you know, at least somewhat moisturized, then, you know, you should put off less scent than if you're not. Right. So, but, you know, again, you know, you're, you're never going to fool a deer's nose. If right. They're right downwind of you. Right. So remind, remind everybody again, what products you use, let's say before the hunt on your body that are not hunting brands, because you, you mentioned they're cheaper, right? Yes. Okay. Yeah. Tell every, yes. remind so us I, again, what, what you use. So I use just the dove unscented soap. And then I, and I use that for shaving cream as well. And then I use the Arm & Hammer, um, it's a, like a hypoallergenic, non-perfume, uh, no dye, no perfume, um, laundry detergent. And I always make sure that I run a flush charge because my wife does use, you know, regular scented laundry detergent and fabric software and everything. So I'll run a flush charge in my, in the washing machine of just, you know, a blank empty empty load with the uh, unscented detergent in there. And then after that, I'll usually run my like underwear and socks and towel. You know, I always make sure I had an unscented towel uh, on the ready as well. And then I'll wash my hunting clothes. 
So, you know, I try to get as much of the old detergent out of the washing machine as possible uh, just because those perfumes in there are, you know, really do stick out in the woods for sure. Yeah. And then when I, you know, after, um, if I do need to moisturize my skin, I just use refined coconut oil. And I, you know, I, I think I use the Kirkland brand or whatever. Uh, but there is no odor to that. And, uh, and unrefined coconut oil smells strong like coconut. So make sure you get the refined. Um, and it virtually has no odor at all. And it's not like a thick film like most lotion is. It's just a, it's a, it's nice and thin and, you know, it's, you don't really hardly even know it's on. Awesome. So that's, that's kind of my method for, for that particular process. Gotcha. So what, so is there a specific brand of product that you use in the wash machine for your clothes? The Arm & Hammer. Arm & Hammer as well. Okay. Gotcha. Yep. All right. Yep. So you really, whether in the shower or on your clothes, you're not using a hunting brand. No, not no. at all. Okay. All right. Cool. So you got your clothes. They're clean. You're clean. Now it's time to maybe hop out into the uh, into the timber from from your driveway or from your house to the tree stand. What's the what's the regimen there? Okay, so uh, back up just a little bit. I keep all my hunting clothes in my garage. Uh, you know, very little sense in there. And I, and I always keep my garage doors, you know, I have two of the large doors, you know, you drive through. I try to keep them open as much as possible just to keep a, as much foreign odor out. Or actually, I keep, you know, as much natural odor in as possible, I guess you'd say. So, and I, I keep them uh, in scent-free bags in the garage. And then I will typically just wear, um, you know, regular uh, street clothes, you know, but, you know, like yeah, that's washed in the Arm & Hammer uh, unscented hypoallergenic detergent. And I will wear those street clothes to the hunting spot. And then I will take my, um, my scent-free bags out and I'll change before entering into the woods, into my hunting clothes. Gotcha. Right there at the truck, right? Correct. Okay. Yep. Right. And, you know, I'm very anal about, uh, you know, trying not to sweat. So, you know, I've got my pack down to 18.2 pounds. Um, so, you know, that's, you know, my saddle, ring of steps, everything. Uh, still climbing up the tree and everything. But 18.2 pounds. Like my thinnest layer, well, how cold it is, but my on johns uh you know or actually i wear a, a merino wool base layer yep uh, i'll wear those to to my stand because the merino wool is just fantastic you can you know it allows you to breathe you don't sweat uh what little sweating you will do you know it, it wicks it away and it's naturally odor fighting better than anything that the hunting industry is marketing that's for sure yeah and uh so i'll wear those real thin merino base layers to my stand you know to the tree that i want to climb and then at that point you know i'll take my pack off and get my hunting clothes on and my saddle on and climb on up nice so base layers from the truck to the stand and then you you layer up at the bottom and then climb up right Correct. Okay. Correct. And right. let's uh, hold on. You, you said that uh, not quite exactly right. So from the you know from the house to the parking lot, I wear just like street clothes. You know what I mean? Yep. That are unscented though. Yep. 
And then I put my base layers on when I get to the hunting spot. Right. Right. Cool. All right. So have, what made you, are you kind of a, a very particular person in general or was there a, a moment in your quote unquote hunting career that made you go anal on the, uh, you know, on the uh, whole scent control thing? Uh, you know, I mean, when I hear like John Eberhardt's method, I consider that anal. I, I don't consider mine anal. Um, you know, I don't particularly think that using Dove unscented soap and coconut oil or, you know, arm and hammer detergent is anal because I'm doing those things anyway. You know, I would shower and wash and anyway, all I'm doing is substituting, um, everyday products for what I would pay three times for in hunting product and getting the same, if not better results. Right. Um, so, you know, then as far as the system goes, you know, um, you know, again, look at John Eberhardt, you know, I mean, he is, he is very anal about it. Um, but to me personally, I think it's past the point of diminishing returns where I, I just feel like a, a deer that's downwind of you is, is going to, to smell you. Now you take the precautions like I do. And hopefully they don't recognize that you're as close as you are. You know what I mean? Right. Especially on public land, you know, these deer smell people all the time. Uh, so if you can trick them just enough thinking that you're 200 yards away when you're really 50 yards away or trick them enough to think that you were there a day ago and you're there today, you know, then that's what I'm after. Gotcha. Yeah. Makes a lot of sense. So, when so this is a point where i'm going to kind of share my method i've always been the guy who kind of buys into the um who buys into the hunting brand stuff just for some reason because it's hunting brand uh especially like uh, the detergents right but i think this is a really good point that we need to make to all the listeners out there is your number one you're saving money number two it's a better product you don't have to have a hunting brand product per se. So I just want to make, you know, that loud and clear, especially if the product in, especially in your opinion is better, which, you know, some of these other companies have been around for hundreds of years. So they have to make a good product, right? Absolutely. And I can, all I can speak to is my, you know, my situation. And that is, it's a definite that it's better because, the dove, like the dove soap, for example, does not dry out my skin. Yep, yep, absolutely, absolutely. So here's here's what I do, right? I I don't know, man. Years ago, I, I should say maybe four years ago, maybe even five now, I picked up a bottle of Nose Jammer, right? And I sprayed it on my boots to my stand, and when I my access route just to my stand, and I've noticed some. And, and witnessed some pretty crazy things. And, you know, full disclosure, th- they do not sponsor or rep this podcast in any way, right? So anyway, I had some really good results with uh, Nose Jammer. Then they came out with a, uh, like, a body soap as well. And it smells like vanilla. So I tell you right now, what do I do? I take a bath or a shower and I use that, um, that nose jammer application 
Uh, and dude, I, for, I've seen really good results as far as access is concerned. Right. So I have a feeling I'm kind of opposite of you in, in a certain way where, yes, we're washing our clothes in scent free soap or in scent free. You are trying to get as scent free as possible. Me, I'm putting on what I guess I would call a cover scent over top of me. It, it's, uh, it kills the bacteria, but it also smells really potently like vanilla. So it's, uh, hair and skin, um, it's like a full body wash, right? And then I get dressed or I put on my base layers uh, and I walk, you know, I, I, I drive to my, uh, to wherever I park in my base layers. I get out, I get all my pack on, I walk to the stand and I get dressed with the rest of my clothes um, in, in the tree stand, depending on if it's already set up or if it's already, you know, if I have to do a running gun. Then from there is when I start using Ozonics, right? And they are a partner of this podcast. But for, from an access standpoint, man, I tell you what, I have noticed that I've been busted less using a cover scent such as, um, such as uh, Nose Jammer on the way to the stand uh, to the point where I always, always have some on me now, even when I'm going to check trail cameras in the summertime. Have you ever, have you ever played around with any type of cover sense like that? Uh, you know, when I was younger, I, I pulled around with the Fox urine, you know what I mean? I use that a lot. Uh, right. And then I, I tried nose jammer one time and I swore that, you know, this is like when it first came out, you know, yeah. and, I, I, I felt silly even doing it, you know, I'm like looking at this because when it first came out, you know, it was like nose jammer, really, you know what I mean? Right, right. Now that it's got some, you know, market recognition, uh, the reactions aren't quite the same, but uh, regardless, I tried it once and I thought that there, there were definitely a year that went to me, I distinctly recall it, and was blowing, a, just creating havoc, you know what I mean? Right. Um, so, I, of course, I never used it again, but, you know, here's the funny thing about it is that everybody wants to throw out all of these absolutes and yep, absolutely. everybody else is an absolute moron for not adhering to my system or whatever. Yep. Well, that's a bunch of bull crap. This is all of this stuff is just theory and it is yep. totally impossible to quantify or to prove, yep, you, you know, you're, you're never going to prove it. So at the end of the day, if you've got a system and you've got confidence in that system, that that's such a huge part of the equation right there. Yes. Have confidence because when you're confident, you hunt harder. You yeah. hunt better. You're more in tune with the woods. And that, to me, that's a huge part of the equation. And, oh, by the way, if you play the wind and play the thermals, uh, you can make it irrelevant. Yeah, absolutely. I, I agree. I agree. Now, once you get to the tree, are you using any other than everything that you've already done? You, I mean, you just mentioned playing the wind and playing the thermals. Is there anything else that you do from a scent elimination uh, standpoint? No, nope. no. In fact, I've even, um, the last two years I have started to where if I know I'm on a long hike, I don't have to go through swampy, boggy, marshy, creaky areas or anything like that. I don't even wear knee high rubber boots. You know, yeah. I think that's another thing that we've kind of, um, allowed ourselves as hunters to think that you can only archery hunt in knee high rubber boots. Oh yeah. Well, it just it just it just makes sense that 
even if you've latched that, you know, if you've got the, like the lacrosse uh, alpha burleys or whatever, you know, which I've got, I love them. Yep. Uh, you cinch that piece around your calf. Um, still, the, the same principles apply that apply to thermals and everything. When you take a step, you're, there is a plume of air that comes out of that boot. It's impossible for it not to. You're leaving a scent trail. Yeah. Um, I just, so I don't even think that it's necessary to wear knee high rubber boots. Um, now they are ideal in a lot of situations, you know, especially when it's cold, you can bundle your feet up. Yep. Um, and of course, if you're walking through any type of water or anything like that. So, you know, I definitely wear them a lot, but if I know that I'm going to do a lot of hiking and I'm in high country, I just wear my, uh, my Danner hiking boots. Yep, absolutely. And I am a fan of rubber boots when I have to cross a creek or when I have to, uh, you know, or when it's extremely cold out. Those are my winter or my, my cold weather boots. Now, this weekend, when the high is only, or the, the high is supposed to get like 55, uh, and it's not going to be down in the, you know, the 30s or the 40s, I'm, I'm putting on a thick pair of wool socks maybe even a thin layer and a thick layer and then my hiking boots. So, you know, I'm a, I agree with you there as far as uh, rubber boots have their place, but they may not absorb scent like a hiking boot would, but there's, it's not like there's some magic, you know, it's not like you're taking a magic escalator to your tree stand because you're wearing rubber boots. You know what I mean? exactly exactly and yes you're right a hiking boot is going to absorb more scent than a rubber boot but i'll also say that you know your feet really sweat you know and that's another trick you can use uh you know just use that like the i use the arm and hammer uh unscented deodorant mentioned that earlier right uh but if you put put that on your feet the antiperspirant aspect of that will help you to not sweat on your way to your stand but uh side point um, you know, your those rubber boots sweat a lot more than a hiking boot. Yep. So I think it's arguable as to how what which is the better as far as less scent goes. Yeah. But at the end of the day, any the stuff that you're wearing is that we all wear does not smell like the woods. Yep. And a white tail lives in those woods three hundred and sixty five days a year and we go in those woods for probably a total of, you know, a, a few weeks of the year if you add up all your hunting time. So if you think about what you do when you go to your house and your olfactory sense is significantly less than a deer and you smell something on the stove, the second you walk in the door, you recognize that there's something for dinner or whatever the case may be. Your wife has perfume on, right? You recognize all that stuff immediately, any type of foreign odor. Uh, That's exactly what a deer does. Yep. Absolutely. Now, what's your opinion on this? Because I've written some articles and I've talked to some people about this before, about the potency of said scent, right? So you mentioned something about being clean and uh, making the deer think that you are, um, you know, that you're 200 yards away as opposed to 50 yards away. And I am under the firm belief. And this is part of the reason I use nose jammer, right? Just like what you mentioned, you walk into a house of somebody, let's say who's a smoker, right? And you instantly smell cigarette smoke, right? You may not smell the, you may not smell the, the pot of chili on the stove. The first thing that hits you is that, uh, 
is that, and that's what I equate nose jammer to, right? So like when I put nose jammer on my boots and on some of my clothes and up in the tree with me, when that deer walks by, I want that nose jammer to hit him. And I've seen it, I've seen it work before that nose jammer hits them and they don't smell me because they're so overwhelmed with the smell of the, the, uh, right. So my scent potency, my personal scent potency is lower than the nose jammer. So the nose jammer is overwhelming their senses and that's all, all they, their mind, they may smell me, but their mind is like that cigarette smoke. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, but I, I mean, isn't vanilla a foreign odor to the deer woods? Well, it's made, from my understanding, that product specifically, it's made out of natural elements that are in nature. That That's that's a dumb comment, natural products that are in nature. But it's a natural product, but it's um, concentrated, if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I understand it. That's uh, yeah. I'm, I, you know, the way I look at it my, is, yeah, not my cup of tea, but absolutely, no, absolutely. If it worked for you, Dan. No, and that's why I have you on today is because we have different thoughts and <laughs> things, right? So, the other thing that I, that, that I am kind of a believer in is, let's say, like gas. I think deer may smell a foreign odor in the woods, but not necessarily fear it. Like, let's say if I spilled grape jelly or let's say I spilled a pot of chili or I was smoking a cigarette in my stand, I think a deer would smell that and not necessarily equate it to the danger per se of a human scent. If that makes sense. Like sure. their, their threat level, you know, these are just some of the ideas that I have while I don't know. Do you, do you feel that let's say if a deer would react to, let's say you did not shower, right? You, you went into the woods, a deer got downwind of you more than likely he's going to bust you. Right? So let's say now you ended up taking a shower. You did your whole scent resume, but now you're smoking in the tree. Do you think that deer smells the cigarette and has the same reaction or or has a, a maybe a different reaction what's your thought on that scenario that's that's tough to say you know i, I don't claim to to be in a deer's mind that's for sure and I, I i think that you know there's probably different tolerance levels by different deer in different areas um i'm certainly not going to take the chance of that scenario unfolding with a big buck and me not have taken a shower or me, of course I wouldn't smoke anyway, but, or, you know, um, hypothetically speaking, if that was the case. Uh, so I just try to, you know, I try to keep my scent as minimal as possible. I, I don't want a big buck, um, potentially smelling vanilla or the no, whatever the flavor of no jammer is or whatever. I try to minimalize it and yeah. play the wind. And I, but I, again, I try to minimize my scent, in a rational way where I'm not spending a ridiculous amount of time cleaning clothes and, and trying to be completely scent free uh, when I could spend that time doing other things, you know, work family or scouting yeah, or whatever, yeah. you know? So do you, do you pee in the stand or do you just hold it 
Okay. I do. I do. I, I used to carry in a, you know, a 32 ounce Gatorade container <laughs> and hold it as long as I possibly could. And then I fill that sucker up and hopefully not have a little right. overflow, you know? Uh, and I'm and, and then I'm finally like, screw it. I don't, it's, you know, I've heard enough stories about people peeing in scrapes and everything that if, to me, that makes sense. The, the logic there, in my opinion, is there's just not enough of a difference between the urine of various species that it would stick out to a deer. Um, sure, they probably smell it, um, but I just don't think that the, that, that sticks out to them versus other animals' urine. And in fact, you know, I killed my biggest buck ever last year, and I like probably I don't know 20 minutes before that I had uh, peed right out of my saddle, like yeah, down on the ground. Absolutely. It's kind of funny. Um, I used to be that guy who would pee into a Gatorade bottle in the tree because I heard, you know, oh, man, you cannot go to the bathroom out of the tree. And so I did. And (laughs) I put it in my truck and I got into the rut, right? Next thing I know, it's, oh, man, it's like April or May. And I get this funky smell. (laughs) I look under my seat. It's my pee bottle from november and it was under my car seat the entire time and i was i was okay this is ridiculous if i would have been pulled over or someone got into my car and saw a jug of my own urine in it they'd probably think i'm crazy oh that's yeah. a great story that was that was right, your absolutely epiphany, huh? <laughs> your moment of yeah, real i guess that would be my aha <laughs> moment right Right, right. That's good. All right. That's a good one. Yeah, you know, I just uh I just let her awesome. fly now. Awesome. All right, so here's the deal. We we're we're done with the hunt, right? We go we go home. Are you taking the exact same steps now but backwards as far as your clothing are concerned? Disrobing at the tree, walking to to your truck and then putting your street clothes back on? Uh, yeah, yeah, basically. But I, I add one, well, it depends on how cold it is, you know, like for an evening hunt, you know, I guess it's reversed for the morning versus the evening because in the morning it warms up, you know? So yes, I would then, uh, you know, strip back down or whatever, depending right. on how cold it was. But in the evening, you know, I'll just, I'll take my coat off or whatever it is to get to a comfortable level, uh, to try to minimize sweat. And when I do take my clothes off, I always, uh, make sure to like turn them inside out and, uh, you know, I don't do this in the woods, of course, or next to the tree I was hunting, but when I get back to the vehicle, um, I will uh, turn my clothes inside out and just kind of fan them out and everything just to try to get as much of the um, the, the skin scent and the skin odor out of the inside of the, right. the garment. Uh, I have no idea if that works or not. It's just one of those things that gives me a little bit of confidence. Right. Keep it can be. And then, I'll, you know, a lot of times if I'm working from home for a day or whatever, I will uh, put my clothes outside, just outside, you know, in the yard, lay them in the grass. I, I turn them inside out again to try to get the, the inside odor out. And also that way the, the sun doesn't fade my camo. Uh, so that's another way I keep them fresh without having to wash them all right, the time. Absolutely. And so how often do you, would you say, let's say the, the rut's coming up, right? And you're going to be hunting for multiple days in a row, going in, going out, potentially going in and out. I mean, you may not do an all-day sit. How many times in, let's say, a two-week period are you washing your clothes? Well, I had to do it a lot more often, especially with my, you know, like my thermal layer. 
prior to wearing merino. So the, using merino base layer will really extend the uh, the life of, you know, in between washes of your clothing, or I have found anyway. I usually just give it the smell test, and if I can smell it, then I need to wash it. Uh, but uh, And I also know, you know, well, hey, I got pretty damn sweaty the last time on the way out. You know, I had a really right. long walk. And so after a couple of those, it's just time to right. wash, you know. Or if I know that, you know, before a trip or something like that, you know, I'll definitely wash. And, you know, that um, I think we talked about this last year. You know, when we go on these trips, um, you know, it's it's kind of an unfortunate circumstance, but we certainly would not have campfires in our deer camp. And, you know, that kind of ties back to your previous question of the foreign odor thing. I noticed a huge difference um, as of a few years ago in our sighting, deer sightings, and and just you know, not just bucks, just deer in general, does and everything. Um, significantly more deer seen and less deer smelling you and blowing at you or whatever when we eliminated campfires from the camping scenario. Right. right. Hey, man, that makes yeah. You know, even if you're not wearing your hunting clothes in camp, that stuff sticks to your skin. It sticks to your clothes. It, it gets you know, you can smell campfire on a person that's been in camp pretty darn yeah. easily, yeah. and so can absolutely. That. So. Have you ever messed around with ozone at all or have been intrigued? Not not from the the in the tree stand application, let's say like an ozonics, but the the at home cleaning your clothes scenario? I, you know, I mean, I've I've done some research on it. Uh I guess it, you know, so you could say it has interested me. I've, I've never done yeah. it, never used it. I mean, I think it pretty much getting the same effect that you would by washing your clothes. It's basically like a dry wash, I think is the terminology I've heard you use. Um, so, you know, I mean, I, I thought about it, but again, I can just, you know, just run a flush charge in the washing machine and I just wash them and, you know, hopefully put them outside. I prefer to put them outside in the sun versus in the dryer, but you know, that doesn't right. always work. So you'll, you will throw a, you'll throw your wet clothes in the dryer. Do you use any type of, um, like f- not not a fabric softener or uh, one of those dryer sheets at all. But, uh, nope. Okay. Nope. Gotcha. Nothing. So you prefer to hang them and let them air dry, but if it's raining outside or you don't have the time, you throw them in the dryer. Gotcha. Correct. Cool. cool. Yep. I got the I got the dry wash bag, and after every hunt, I'll hang my clothes in there and depending on when the next time I hunt, if I know I'm going to hunt in the morning, I'll run that, I'll run that O that uh, ozone cycle in the dry wash bag, um, 30 minutes or whatever. Uh, or if it's an afternoon hunt while I go in and take my shower, I'll turn my, uh, ozonics on and I'll let that run and I'll let it basically hit the, uh, hit my clothes, which is also kind of cool because I've noticed that in the, uh, uh, when I'm walking to my stand, I can still smell the ozone on my clothes, which is not my smell. So I, one of the, another type of thing where I have my, what I feel the, the, the nose jammer working for me. I, th- I feel like I also have the ozone working for me as well. So, so yeah, I don't know. I, I, what I really like about this, and this th- this is a point that we always find on when we have conversations, especially you know on social media, is 
and we've already talked about it a little bit. You have your way. I have my way. We're both confident in our way, and we've both seen success in our way. And so that tells you right there that there is more than one way to skin a cat when it comes to hunting these suckers, right? Hell yes. If Scentlock worked, you know, like they claim it did, then everybody that bought Scentlock would be able to, (laughs) (laughs) right? I I mean, you're, you're spot on correct. You know, it's all about the system and, you know, having confidence. Absolutely. So, other than what we've talked about, do you have anything else? Any, uh, I mean, it sounds like your, your method is pretty cut and dry. Do you have anything else that uh, you forgot to talk about as far as your scent regimen's concerned? Well, you know, I mean, I, I think we covered pretty well the, you know, the approach getting to the stand and, you know, even afterwards and everything like that. But, you know, equally as important is playing the wind. And, you know, that, uh, you know that's a huge part of it. Uh, so in my philosophy is keep scent to a minimum and then play the wind and the thermal. So one thing I will add to that, though, is that I, I don't know that I really hear a lot of people talking about is, you know, I, when I'm looking at a map to decide where I'm going to hunt, because I typically hunt out of a different tree uh, virtually every time in the woods. And, you know, maybe I'll I may hit the same tree uh, two times in a season and three times at the most. So uh, early season, you know season rut and then um but i'm always looking i I want to match the wind to the thermal so you know pretty much everybody knows that the uh you know thermal drives during the day and 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 uh fall in the evening um but there's you know variation in there it's not just cut and dry it's not always the same amount of pull or push either way you know it depends on the amount of sunlight that day you know if it's sunny then the thermals are going to be stronger so I try to look at a combination of, um, of the, you know, the prevailing wind direction and the topography combined with the, you know, sun and the clouds to see what, how strong it should be. So, for example, uh, last night on my mountain, I looked at a map and it took me a long time to find a place. I'm looking at like four or five large areas to find one particular spot where you know we had a west wind the wind started out of the southwest in the morning yesterday so i'm looking at um you know northeast facing slope because one thing i can tell you is that in my opinion around here um 90 of the time deer are going to be bedded on the leading slope that's that's a, a given um and, and i i will swear by that for sure so I'm looking at deer bedding on a northeast slope last night. Uh, so the wind is coming out of the west. So you know I try to match the uh, the, the thermal pull with you know of the last hour of the you know the magic hour uh, with the prevailing wind. So like last night the wind uh, the, well the wind in the yesterday morning was coming out of the southwest. So the deer would have been bedded on the northeast slope. Um, you know around here deer almost uh, invariably will bed on the leeward side. So, you know, I'm looking at approaching from the east or northeast in this particular scenario and a drainage that, you know, goes flows downhill to the east that matches the westerly wind of the prevailing direction of the wind. So that way, you know, there is no conflicting air currents, which creates swirl. 
when you've got swirl, that's when you got, you know, deer under you that are busting you. What, even if it's not your target buck, you know, obviously when you get, you can have deer under you at any time. And, you know, if you have a consistent pull on your, on your wind and your thermal, then, and, you know, I always test that out with milkweed. Um, milkweed is, a, is one of our good friends, that's for sure. So, you know, yeah, try to match the, uh, the drainage of the topography and therefore the, the thermal pull downhill in the evening with the prevailing wind. Gotcha. So not only is, not only is the wind blowing downhill, but the thermal is dragging you downhill as well. On it, exactly. Let's say when those, exactly. When those two things match, then you become a lot more difficult to detect, um, you know, because your the thermal is going to pool, and yeah. the wind is already is blowing. So why not use them in conjunction with each other? Right. Absolutely. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. All right. So that right there is, I mean, that mixed with, I mean, that sounds really simple as far as a complete approach to not only your scent control system, but how you approach your hunting strategy as well. Yeah, and you know the interesting thing about that is it sounds re- relatively simple, right? Right. You've got to have a lot of spots, you know, that you could potentially hunt to make sure all those things match up: the prevailing wind, the leeward side bedding, your approach, and the thermal. You know, so when you can get all those things to, to combine, it, you know, it can re- turn out to be a great evening. That's for sure. Or right. morning in the in the other scenario. Have you seen that when all of those things match up, have you seen better success or, or not necessarily better success, but have you seen more deer? Absolutely. And, you know, you can drop milkweed and watch it, watch your scent go in a very predictable um, uh, route. Uh, and, you know, when that's the case, you know, that the deer is going to have to be directly in that route for them to smell you. And if you can combine that route of your scent with your travel entry route, then, you know, that's even another variable that, um, you know, that, that you're, uh, tending to. Absolutely. That's awesome. Awesome. Well, man, thanks for stopping by again and BSing with me today about, about scent control and, and the wind and the thermals and whatnot. Uh, I appreciate your time and, uh, good luck this upcoming season, man. Thanks, Dan. I appreciate you having me on as always, and uh, we'll have to do it again sometime. And there you have it, ladies and gentlemen, another podcast in the books. Huge shout out to Ted. Thanks for taking time to uh, hop on the podcast and BS with us a little bit today. Huge shout out to all of you who have taken time out of your day to uh, download and listen. Please go to iTunes or wherever you download podcasts, leave a review about the Nine Finger Chronicles and any of the other uh, podcasts that you listen to on the Sportsman's Nation. Other than that, I'm going to keep it short and sweet. Guys, we're going to be spending a lot of time in the tree stand in the next couple months. Uh, please, 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 please wear your damn safety harness. Have a good week. Thank you.